Hello everyone, I'm Simon Ford of Forge Gin. Martinis, gin and tonics, Negronis, great classic cocktails is what I'm about. But I also love to hear of great recipes from great bartenders from around the world, which is why we've partnered with Beyond the Drink for this season. Cheers. Well, you just heard from the man himself, Simon Ford, and this season of Beyond the Drink is presented by Ford's Gin. I'm Cappy, and in this series, we're going to hear from some of the best bartenders in the country as they share the stories and recipes behind their favorite drinks. Beyond the Drink is a spinoff of Beyond the Plate, our podcast that sits down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. So if you're new to Beyond the Drink, welcome. If you listened before, we're so glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to create a delicious cocktail or, like the bartenders we feature, make a difference in your community. To get the cocktail recipe we discuss in this episode, you can check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. One more thing, we have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch. You can find a link in your podcast player or go to our website, beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, hoodies, and more. Again, that's beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Enjoy this week's episode. On our Beyond the Plate episodes, we like to ask chefs different things like favorite farmer's market ingredients or a few fresh herbs or spices, things like that. So for you, why don't you name three fresh herbs that you may use in a gin cocktail? Ooh, mint is my favorite. After that, rosemary is really fun. And then last, I would say it's, I think it's overutilized, but I still love it. And there's so much room to play around with it is basil. Love it. Sound good. Today's guest is a Midwest native and has been bartending in New York City for a decade. She oversaw the team of an establishment that claimed the title of Best Bar in North America in 2022. And in 2018, she won the national champion title in Speed Rack, an all-female bartending competition benefiting breast cancer research. You can find more on her in the episode notes and follow her on Instagram at H-E-T-R-A-U-B. That's H-E-T-R-A-U-B. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the drink with a woman who have not made Making a cocktail is likely walking her dogs. Haley Trop. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Haley, first off, thank you for being here. Hello. <laughs> and next, our listeners of Beyond the Plate know that we love a good speed round, which sometimes comes at the end, but we're going to kick it off with a speed round. It's going to be a cocktail themed speed round, of course. And we're going to go a little bitter and boozy with this speed round. All right. You're speaking my language. <laughs> Number one, name the cocktail that inspired you to get behind the bar. Old fashioned. Name a smell behind the bar you love. Fresh citrus. Ooh, name a smell behind the bar you hate. Passion fruit. <laughs> one cocktail every home bartender should have in their repertoire. A martini. Hmm. How about the last cocktail that blew you away? Oh, gosh. I would say a few months ago, I was at Double Chicken Please and had their Waldorf salad cocktail. Love it. It was wild. One gin cocktail everyone needs to try. A martini. There you go. <laughs> Love it. Let's go back to the Waldorf. Wait, will you tell me about that? Because I feel like this rings a bell and I'm so curious. So as far as I can remember it, so the Waldorf salad, like the breakdown of it, like I didn't, I know there's definitely the walnut component if i'm remembering correctly like walnut apple like that sort of vibe so cool such a great idea so neat they're doing such really like such cool culinary stuff over there but i think for me what really was the draw for it is i remember when i was very young growing up in minnesota there was this mall in the next 
suburb over from where I grew up that one of the big shopping centers in there had sort of like cafeteria type buffet, whatever. And they served a Waldorf salad. That was one of the things that you could go and get like the little Tupperware container of. I would always get it when I would go in there with my mom. And then I actually in high school ended up working at that mall. So when I would get my 20 minute break from the coffee shop, I would go and I would get that Waldorf salad. So I think it's like the drink itself is fantastic and they're doing such cool stuff with it and like really emulating those flavors so well in cocktail form but I think there's also that nostalgia factor for me to you know to now be in my mid-30s drinking a cocktail that tastes exactly like the thing that I ate out of a Tupperware container standing over a trash can at 16. (laughs) Wait do you ever use any of those like nostalgic food smells meals anything like in your cocktails today absolutely because i'd like that's something that's really cool about flavors in general to me but also about cocktails is being able not just for myself but for other people you know for friends or colleagues or guests to have that sort of switch flip and be like oh like i know this i've experienced this before this is a flavor that I love, but I'm experiencing it in a new way. And that's not to say that every drink that I create is like, you know, when I was a young girl, <laughs> my grandmother, made, like, that's just no, there's not going to be a story behind every cocktail and every flavor. And, and I don't want there to be sometimes it's just like, yeah, this came to be because it freaking tastes good. But that's also in creating and in bartending, it's kind of a fun challenge to propose to yourself is how do I recreate this meal that I had this one time? Or how do I create the banana bread that my mom always sent to me when I was in college, these flavors that I really know and love, how do I experience them in a new way? So it definitely it, it is part of the process and part of the inspiration. But I wouldn't say it, it's always the root of it. That's cool. Did you go to school in Minnesota? Or did you leave Minnesota to go to New York? So I moved to New York when I was 17, which is insane to think about. Uh, <laughs> I moved out here to New York to go to school and haven't left since. Excited to hear about this gin cocktail we're going to discuss today. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Any inspiration, story, have at it. So I love bitter and boozy. If a guest asks, what's your favorite cocktail? What sort of style of cocktails do you like? What do you like to drink? It's always bitter and boozy, whether it's Boulevardier's, Negroni's, Bitter Manhattan, whatever. That is always my style. So it's definitely a format and formula of cocktail that I love to play around with. That Negroni formula, whether it's gin-based or not, I love playing around with those bittersweet qualities. And so this, this Il Porto Negroni, which is one of my favorite personal Negroni riffs, came to be just for the this idea of, you know, I want to experience bitter and boozy in a new way. You know, I want to experience a Negroni in a way that I haven't before. And I want to be able to serve a guest a Negroni that they haven't experienced before. So it was wanting to take those familiar flavors and experience and just experience them in a different way. Awesome. And I feel like less is more with this. You know, I mean, the Negroni is pretty simple in general, but obviously there's some cocktails that can be a little intense and have components. But I feel like this is like pretty straightforward and bitter and boozy. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's very much representative of sort of my style of bartending and the style of the program that I work on of everything is rooted in classics, in prohibition era classics, in modern classics and everything. And so it is very much a program and a style of bartending that very much does operate off of less is more. And a lot of times I find that to be more challenging than having a million infusions to play around with, having all these different tinctures and bitters and crazy spirits and modifiers and everything. It's a fun challenge to 
have to create something with fewer ingredients. So simple isn't always simple. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, this is really cool because last week's Beyond the Plate episode was with Chef Yotam Atolengi, who's London-based. And okay. we talk a lot about that. Some of his recipes were, or uh, not intense or labor-intensive by any means, but they had many components. And he was talking about how his style has changed over the years. And now he talks with his team and he's like, what ingredient can we remove from there and still make it taste as delicious? Which is cool how that episode last week is carrying over to this episode in food to drink form. All right, take us through this cocktail. Tell us what's in it. What's going down? Yeah, so it's called the Il Porto Negroni. And it is this particular Negroni is still gin based. That's another thing that I love sort of explaining to guests is the Negroni doesn't have to be gin based. Typically it is and historically it is, but it is nice to and cool to explain to people like, no, you can have a Mezcal Negroni variation and kind of blow their minds with that. But this particular one is still gin-based. And then instead of Campari, the bitter agent in this is Grand Classico, which I personally love playing around with because it, you know, it still has that red bitter quality to it, but it has these really nice, almost jammy qualities to it. So it has that sort of like dark fruit richness combined with the bitterness. And then instead of sweet vermouth, we're using port wine in there. So again, you're still getting those sort of dark sweet notes, but with a more sort of like red juicy quality from the port wine. So it still follows that sort of spirit bitter sweet formula of a Negroni, but then we adjust the proportions a little bit. It's going to be two parts gin to one part each of the Grand Classico and the port. So just sort of amping up the gin a little bit more than you might do in a typical Negroni, just because the Grand Classico and the port wine do pack a little bit of a punch. It's one of those things that I think maybe if you did it, I did, you know, in playing around with it, I did it as an equal part, like a one, one, one on the gin, Grand Classico and port wine and everything just muddled together because the Grand Classico and the port wine are pretty powerful flavors. So if you up the gin a little bit and pull the Grand Classico and the port wine back, it's just absolutely beautiful. So what you're left with is still, you know, a gin forward, nice, bitter, boozy Negroni variation but you're still getting those jammy, fruity qualities from the Grand Classico and the port wine. I could listen to you talk about cocktails all day. This is quite fun. <laughs> and I could talk about them all day. So that's the danger of this. Grand Classico, I'm personally just not uber familiar with it. I mean, I've heard of it and had it, but is this something like a home bartender should have on their shelf? type thing. First and foremost, it's an accessible product. It's definitely not, you're not going to have to search far and wide to find it. Like any liquor store that has a good selection of Amari and bitters is most likely going to have Grand Classico. So that's the nice thing about it is not using some like super niche bitter by any means. Like one store in one. Right. (laughs) You know, that you're going to use in one cocktail ever. But it is certainly because it does fall under that umbrella of like the red bitter category, it is a fun one to play around with. It's definitely one that I suggest, you know, try it out in place of your Camparis, your Aperols, your what have you, play around with it in that sort of sense. You might have to kind of either bump up or pull back the proportions with it, depending on what you're replacing it with. But it is a really fun one to have and to play around with. And like I said, it's a very accessible product. I love this. Okay, so it's now becoming very clear, you being a champion at Speed Rack, this incredible competition, why and how you win a competition like that. What does that mean to you? Like when you are able to 
become victorious and something like that. So I should say I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up in the Midwest. We're not used to boasting about our accolades there. <laughs> I'm in Chicago. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you understand. <laughs> My grandfather was a Marine through and through until the day he passed. And I grew up being taught you work hard, you do a good job because that's what you should want to do and because you you should want to contribute. And so that has very much followed me into my career as an adult because of that, you know, admittedly, it's still something I, I struggle with to this day when people are like, oh my God, you're doing such cool stuff. You're so accomplished. Like all this. And I'm just like, I'm doing my job. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. It's probably something I should talk with my therapist about how to be better about, you know, taking compliments. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But it, I think ultimately for me, it's because I am in this industry because at the root of it, I love hospitality. I love providing experiences for people. I love curating experiences. I love sharing. So even, you know, doing a competition like Speedrack was important for me because it was a personal challenge to myself of, can I do this? Can I succeed in this? Can I, if I'm going to do Speedrack, can I do it as best as I can? And Turns out I could, <laughs> but so that's where all of that comes for me. You know, being victorious just means that I'm doing what I set out to do. Well, and then even furthermore, winning best bar in North America, what makes your bar different? Nowadays with how expansive the cocktail world that is, that's, you know, a very loaded question. But ultimately, you know, I come from a lineage that has a lot of history to it. I work in a physical space that has been a bar for 22 years and that has contributed to the landscape of the cocktail world in exponential ways. So ultimately, heading up this program and representing this program and working with this amazing team that we have really means that we are carrying on this legacy that this program and this physical space has created for the cocktail world. So ultimately, for me, realizing that we are doing a successful job of carrying on that legacy. And in the cocktail world, in the food world, in the hospitality world in general, a lot of times there can be an expiration date on establishments. A lot of places can run their course or the thrill can wear off or the next best thing comes along or whatever. And that's always heartbreaking to see, which makes it even more important and special that we are able to really keep this flame alive. Some days it's harder than others. And some days you might wonder why you do it, but then the guests come along who have an amazing time or the recognition comes along and reminds you of, oh yeah, we're still doing this for a reason. And I think that's the most exciting thing is realizing that I'm able to carry on the legacy of such an important place. That's amazing. Thank you for that. So Haley, our listeners from Beyond the Plate know that our podcast celebrates social impact and giving back with all of our guests. And we also know it's no different for the bartenders that we speak with as well. Learning how you all do it truthfully is what keeps us all inspired and you all do it in your own way. And I would love to give you a moment to shed some light on a specific cause or charitable organization that is meaningful to you or that you'd like to raise awareness for. Yeah, absolutely. Admittedly, we kind of touched on it already, but Speedrack has been huge for me, both professionally and personally. The reason I ever even decided to compete in Speedrack is my maternal grandmother is a three-time breast cancer survivor. So I actually, when I won the national finals in Chicago, my mother, grandmother, and one of my aunts were standing front row when I won. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, no pressure there. <laughs> 
I actually, I was looking at it this morning. There's this really beautiful photo from like literally the second they announced that I won of my mother just weeping and my grandmother, the three-time breast cancer survivor, like holding my mother. So that was a really special experience for me. And that whole organization has been important for my career and for the career of hundreds of bartenders, but also just for a cause that my grandmother is 84 years old and was fighting breast cancer in the 60s. And thankfully, she's not battling it now, but plenty of people still are. And it's unfortunately something that we are still working towards researching and figuring out. But it's really beautiful to see people still shedding light on it and working on it. And also just it's neat to see that, yeah, like the bar community can help with this too. (laughs) I think that's something we forget sometimes or maybe folks outside of this community and industry don't get is that we're more than just food and drinks and food and drinks can help in so many aspects of life. So it's been a really, really neat thing to see how it has carried that impact around the globe and continues to do so. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, you're way more than food and drinks. I mean, even hearing a couple of weeks ago, we had Sean Licklider from out in LA when he was talking about a great organization out there called No Us Without You. And yeah, it's so cool. Everything you all do. And it's one of the reasons we love the whole industry, the community. We're grateful for all of you and everything you do. And hearing that story is incredible. And people who listen to this probably get sick of me saying this, but I say it because maybe there's one new listener that didn't hear me say it last time. Give what you can. It could be your voice. It could be your dollars. It could be your time. One social media post, you may not have all the followers in the world, but if one person sees a social media post about giving, it can make a difference. And similarly, $1, $10 can make a difference to an organization. You don't have to dig deep in your pockets to give a hundred or a thousand or whatever it is you can afford. So in time as well, you know, you could commit to donating 30 minutes, an hour of your time once a month or something like that. And you're going to make a difference for someone. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Of course. Haley, this was awesome. I could probably talk to you for another 30 minutes or longer about all this, but I appreciate your time. Thank you so much and continue to keep rocking it out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To get the recipe from this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. This episode is produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, and Sean Petrosian. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Drink, a production of Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy.